Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. It's a choice between a strong economy and a Labor opposition that would weaken it. It's a daunting prospect, the the next four days. You can see the end of the journey. I know Australians know that I can be a bit of a bulldozer. What are the other five points, Mr Albanese? We we will put people... There's comments of an armchair critic who no, no, only ever had to say anything about something sure. that had happened after it He's happened. He's an armchair critic, sure. Me, He's the opposition well, leader, but Prime Minister, those three examples, the government was late to respond on all of them. I think that, like a lot of Australians, are looking for an outcome now. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud. We just thought that we should do a little politics chat for people who are really into the election. Now, not everybody is, but during this campaign on Mamma Mia Out Loud, Mia, Jessie and myself have been talking about the stories that have come up from the political circus, for want of a better word, over the past few weeks. Some people love that, some people hate that, but if you're still confused about how this campaign has been going, what the major themes are, who you should vote for if you care about the climate, what the major parties stand on for women and just what might happen on Saturday night. This conversation is for you. So to help us unpack this election campaign that is thankfully nearly over. I mean, I know some people enjoy it, but it's uh, it feels like it's limping to the finish line. Who are those people? <laughs> there are, sometimes I have my moments. We are joined by Amy Ramikis, who is The Guardian's Australian political reporter and has been living and breathing and covering this election campaign live for weeks that probably feel like months. How are you, Amy? I wouldn't say I'm living, but I am definitely breathing. So, you know, (laughs) that's the baseline. Amy, just a quick question to start with. Who should I vote for? (laughs) Just an easy one, right? Because we know that 30% of women are swinging voters, we have learned this week. I'm definitely a swinging voter. You know, obviously I'm joking in terms of telling me who to vote for, but I think that there are a lot of people who just aren't sure what are you what are you hearing on the trail there are a lot of people who aren't sure and there's a lot more people within the polls so the opinion polls who we call soft voters so when we talk about the opinion polls being soft it means that people when they've been phoned up and asked a question about who they're going to vote for may have given an answer but it doesn't necessarily mean that that answer is set in stone Mm. so you would probably include a big chunk of people who answer the opinion polls as being undecided as well they've been put on the spot and they've said 
you know, one team or the other team. But by the time they get to the polls, they're just like, mm, do I really want to vote that way? So what I've been telling everyone, because I'm actually getting this question a lot from family and friends, just going, what do I do, is just to look at the parties and the candidates and see which one marries up the closest with your own values. Because that's, that's what you're voting for. You're voting for yourself and for your family and your future and your kids' future. So which major party, because they're the only ones who are going to be actually able to form government, which party more closely aligns with what you would like the future to look like? And then just do it from a personal perspective. Amy, today stats from the Australian National University was suggesting that more women are undecided than men. I think that the director of women's leadership there said that women's votes are up for grabs is how she put it, which I guess in the last days of the campaign put a bit of pressure on everybody. Do you have a theory of why that might be? Why would women be more undecided than men? I think, and this is just from covering Parliament for the last couple of years, that Scott Morrison hasn't exactly covered himself in glory when it's come to a lot of issues that matter to women. Uh, We've had allegations raised in the Parliament, and I don't think anyone can dispute that the response from the government wasn't up to what people's expectations were. We've had, you know, multiple people come forward with stories saying this happened to me, and we didn't see a lot of action from the government. In fact, you know, when we had a March for Justice, where we had women from all over the nation, all different political stripes marching, Scott Morrison didn't come out and meet them and then said in Parliament, well, aren't we lucky we live in a country where they can protest without being shot? So I think it's those sorts of things have compounded to where women haven't really switched back on to Scott Morrison. Now, that doesn't mean that they're against the coalition, but, you know, we run a pretty leader-heavy campaign in Mm. Australia. Scott Morrison is the face of the coalition. And I don't think that we've seen, you know, a a lot of introspection from the Prime Minister over how he handled those issues. In fact, Tracy Grimshaw interviewed him this week and asked him, should you have met, you know, the March for Justice protesters? And he said, oh, well, no, they could have come to meet me in my office. And I don't Mm. think that that was really the point that, you know, people were trying to get across. Interestingly, I wanted to ask you about that, the leader heavy campaign. So at the beginning of the campaign, it was all about Albo's gaffes. I call him Albo as if we're mates. Mm. <laughs> I should give him his proper name. He's been Albo longer has... than Morrison's been ScoMo. That's true. But he it all just is so Aussie the... and blokey. Yes. Maybe that's also why it's hard for women to engage. I mean, there's not a single – the leaders and deputies, both party, both major parties are middle-aged men. Blokey blokes. Yeah, middle-aged women. Mm. And what we've seen – it was about Albo's gaffes. And then in the last week or so, it's been about ScoMo apparently having a bit of introspection about his leadership style. So we've heard a lot about the bulldozer and him saying, I have been a bit of a bulldozer, but I'm going to change. I wonder, does that work? Does that like I'm acknowledging my flaws but I'm working on them. I know Julie Gillard did this once during a campaign. Do you remember you're going to see the real Julia now? Is it a bit of a humble brag because you're like, I'm a bulldozer, I get things done, but I can see it's my weakness? Or do you think he had no choice but to acknowledge his leadership style was lacking, perhaps? 
It's a tough one because at his most recent press conference, he kind of reverse ferreted on the reverse ferret and said (laughs) um, when he was asked again about being a bulldozer, he kind of was all like, well, you know, why is being a bulldozer a bad thing? Mm. I've been strong and I'll continue to be strong. So, you know, on Friday we had the, oh, you know, the mea culpa moment, the I need to change, I understand this, I've been a bit of a bulldozer and but I will consult more as as we move forward. We've had headlines on that and now we get to less than a week later, like just five days later, and he's like, well no, actually this country needs strength and I'm I'm going to continue to be a strong leader. So I guess it depends on how closely people are following the ebbs and flows of those particular moments. I think there are a lot of people who might want to vote for the coalition but aren't necessarily fans of Scott Morrison. And so when he said, I need to change, that may get them across the line. They might think, okay, you know, it was a pandemic, we can get through this. Then there's other people who would be thinking, well, you know, it wasn't just the pandemic. It was the bushfires. It was the floods. It was getting vaccines. It was organising rats. It was, you know, the women's march and the women's issues. It hasn't all been down to the pandemic. So there would be other people who would just be thinking, oh, he can't change. But then there would be other people like me who just watch him say one thing and then say another thing and just kind of go, are we only doing this through focus groups at the moment or are we actually, you know, coming up with with a new way to govern? Amy, climate is uh, top of mind for many Australians. If my values are I want more to be done about climate change, how do the policies of the two major parties stack up? Well, there's a lot of people who would say that they're pretty much the same, uh, but there is there is marked differences in that Labor wants to go further than the coalition. Labor doesn't want to go as far as what, you know, the UN and scientists are telling us that we need to go. They have lower targets than what the UN and most of the scientific community are telling us we need to do, but their targets are still higher than what the coalition is doing. They're also saying, uh, both sides are sort of saying, like, you know, coal is with us for the foreseeable future, but we need to do more to look at renewables. And as part of that, Labor now has a policy where they're going to redo the power network to make sure that we can get more renewables into the grid, which the coalition has Snowy 2.0, which is a big water project, which they say is going to bring more renewables. So there is a difference. And the easiest way to say what the difference is, is that Labor wants to go further than the coalition. I want to ask, because I know that for people who are concerned about climate and who feel there isn't enough difference, that's a large part of why there's this lot of talk about independence in this election, right? And we've heard a lot about the teal threat from the mostly female candidates who are putting climate at the top of their list. That leads me to the conversation that everybody's having about what if neither of the major parties get across the line and a hung parliament is the result here. Can you briefly explain what that would mean to people who hear that term but don't really understand and the other part of that I'd like to know is if that means they have to win over independence to govern have those deals already been done? Mm, It's a really interesting one and we haven't really seen this sort of question dominate an election um, since 2010 when we had the last hung parliament. So a hung parliament basically means that neither 
neither major party gets the 76 seats that they need to hold a majority. So, you know, there's 151 seats in the parliament. The government is formed by the party that has the most seats. They need to have 76 to have a, a majority. And that just means that they can pass on, uh, pass legislation themselves. They don't have to worry about talking to anyone else to do it in the House. The Senate is a completely different story and we would need hours to talk about how the Senate works. Mm. So that's what a hung parliament is. So it means that neither party has got to that magic number of 76. And so they need the support of people who sit on the crossbench and they are independents or from minor parties to be able to pass their legislation. So in 2010, we had that situation where Julia Gillard formed government with three independents. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about chaos with that parliament. But when you look at it, they passed every single piece of legislation that they put forward. So not a single piece of legislation failed in that parliament. Mm. Julia Gillard and and her team got every single piece of legislation they wanted through. Took a lot of negotiation, but they did it. We have seen legislation fail in this most recent parliament and the government does hold the numbers in the House. So when people hear that chaos story, it's not necessarily, mm, you know, just as it seems on the face but of it. But is the way that that works that, say, on Saturday night or when the postal votes are counted or whatever and there's no 76, then Albo literally has to go to those independents and ScoMo goes to their, those independents and woos them. That's kind of what happens in a very basic terms, right? So that's why you might not see an actual result for a few days because do they have to declare a hand of who they're going to support so you, to know who's going to lead? I mean, everyone is saying that no deals have been done. Right. Who knows what is happening behind the scenes, but no concrete deals have been done. And usually it's the party who wins the most seats, so gets closest to that number of 76 that forms the minority government. Right. So because it's easier. It, you have to negotiate with less people. And in terms of the deals, it is a little hard for independents to say who they're going to support because they don't know what concessions each of the major parties mm. would, would make in order to get their support. So while both Labor and the coalition are saying we will not do any deals, that's actually bubkus because neither is going to give up the opportunity to be in government. Neither is going to willingly say I'm going into opposition rather than make a deal with the crossbench. That's not going to happen. We just don't know how many votes that they might need from the crossbench, if any, and what concessions they will make in order to get those votes. Amy, it was once thought that women just vote on the basis of health policy and education policy. We now know that's not true. But what are the policies that are particularly pertinent to women that each of the major parties have unveiled? And isn't it funny that I can't name a single one of them? So they obviously haven't done a very good job with, with sort of reaching a mainstream audience. Labor would point to its childcare policy, which is increasing the subsidy for 95% or 96% of working families so that they would receive up to 95% of that subsidy rather than the more tiered things. So Labor is saying that we know that women do most of the unpaid labor in the home and that includes childcare. We know that a lot of women are unable to return to work because childcare costs too much 
much and so it becomes a case of not being worth it. But we know that they miss out on super for their retirement when they don't work, when they're out of the workforce for those years while they're raising children. So we're going to try and make it easier to get people into childcare. So that's Labor's, I suppose, hallmark policy mm-hmm. for women. But there's not a lot of others around it. And the coalition has said, oh, well, we've we've already done plenty for women. We've increased funding for family and, and domestic violence services. We've increased funding for legal aid. You know, we're looking at other things to try and improve the productivity for women in the workforce. And we've already said what our childcare policy, which is to make it cheaper for your second child to go to childcare. So you get an increased subsidy for them. So despite for the last two and a bit years, us only talking about women's issues as well as climate change and aged care and health, none of those issues have featured in this campaign, which I think has been quite fascinating to a lot of people. And when you talk to people, and I'm sure you guys get this from your audience all the time, when you speak to people, they're raising these issues. They want to know what it is each party's going to do for them. But we haven't seen that play out in the campaign. Before you go and we let you get back to your relentless election grind, I want to ask you a bit about Saturday night. So I'm hearing that because there have been a lot of early votes this year, more than usual, that it's likely we won't get a result on Saturday night. I know you're not in the business of predictions, but do you think that's quite a likely scenario? Do you think we'll be hanging out to find out how this goes? What are we likely to expect on Saturday night? Oh, yeah, that is, a, that is a very difficult one. It's probably easier to ask me how many coffees and drinks I'll be having between now <laughs> and Saturday night. Are those in the know expecting a result on Saturday night? That's what I, I, think, like I, I think if I think if the polls are correct in that they're tightening, that means that they're getting closer. If we have this many undecided voters and we also have a lot of postal votes to count and we're coming up to about 3 million people already have requested a postal vote, there is a very high chance that we're not going to get a result on Saturday. So we've had Between pre-polling, so people who've gone to vote early uh, and postal votes, about 6 million Australians have already decided where they want their vote to go. There's about 17 million Australians on the the electoral roll. So we're rapidly approaching a point where half... That's a high proportion. That's Mm. a very high proportion. So half of voters have made their decision... uh, To forego a democracy sausage on Saturday. Yeah, they've decided to say no. Although you can have the democracy sausage without placing a vote. You can go along to <laughs> one of those faces That's what if I do, you really Amy. wish to. Yeah. I love a democracy <laughs> um, and, sausage. And while we do count pre-poll, and we, I mean the Australian Electoral Commission, do count pre-poll on the, on the night uh, once they've exhausted, you know, each polling booth that's been done on the day, postal votes can come in for two weeks after the election. So if mm. it gets down to postal votes, deciding some of these Mm. key electorates we could have a couple of weeks until we find out or everyone could just be moving in one way and I don't know what I'm talking about and we'll have a result by 9pm on Saturday. For you and everyone who's covering it live I hope we do because otherwise you know when you think something's (laughs) going to end and then they keep moving the finish line and moving the finish line and moving but um thank you so much for making time for us today Amy it's been very enlightening I know the Out Louders 
will be delighted that we had this conversation. So thank you so much. Thanks, Amy. Very, thank you. Just just going to have the world's largest glass of red wine. That's all I know. <laughs> okay. Saturday night. That's it. The limit does not exist. That's great. Thanks, Enjoy. Amy.